It's over. That was a really fast talk. <laughs> you missed it. Well, to start out this evening, I, I feel like I have several acknowledgments to make. And the first one, I went outside and, and uh, looked up at that full moon and um, realized what an incredible privilege uh, it was to be here this evening and just, um, I guess, just be alive for such a um, kind of... Um, crystal moment out there. Uh, the second piece I, I feel like I have to acknowledge is actually, um, I was thinking about the feelings of people leaving and uh, the kind of the, um, whether it's a feeling of, of for yourself for spaciousness or abandonment, uh, to, to actually acknowledge uh, if that, because there are these things of uh, recognizing um, comings and goings. And uh, where do you go with that? What happens? You know. Um, so that's uh, an, another piece that I wanted to uh, just, you know, it's like a, could be a shadow piece here, but uh, I'd really like to acknowledge it, whatever feelings you have about that, because I had them. Uh, and uh, so that's uh, the second piece. So tonight I'd like to uh, talk about a thing called the Wheel of Life. And um, as Robert so uh, beautifully put the other night, this idea of concepts and reality uh, I would actually like to venture into the world of uh, concepts somewhat and views uh, from a Buddhist pers perspective. Before I start out, I just, um, oh, there's a piece about today that uh, came up for me that um, seemed important in kind of acknowledging for myself, um, a difference in what we're doing here. I um, was sort of searching through for uh, things to um, explore this evening, and I came across this piece that uh, touched me, and I wanted to uh, kind of um, kind of open with this um, view. And it really is about the difference. Um, I think back now, what, uh, probably um, 35 years ago, when I sort of, um, I told you the story the other night of kind of my beginnings, sort of somewhat of um, walking out that door and kind of my whole life changed. And in that process, uh, before that, I had spent my time, I think, as a... Um, 
a tourist in life. And at that point, uh, something uh, dra- dramatically changed. And you can call it a wayfarer or um, a pilgrim. And so I found this piece, and I just want to read it. It's from Andrew Schilling's Meeting the Buddha. Only the walker who sets out towards the ultimate things is a pilgrim. In this lies the terrible difference between tourist and pilgrim. The tourist travels just as far, sometimes with great zeal and courage, gathering up acquisitions, a string of adventures, and a wondrous tale or two, and returns the same person as the one who departed. There is something in expressively sad in the, in the clutter of belongings the tourist unpacks back at home. The pilgrim is different. The pilgrim resolves that the one who returns will not be the same person as the one who set out. Pilgrim, pilgrimage is a passage for the reckless and the subtle. The pilgrim and the metaphor comes from, from distant times, must be prepared to shred the husk of personality or even the body like a worn-out coat. A Buddhist uh, dictum has it this way, the way exists, but not the traveler on it. For the pilgrim, the road is home. Reaching your destination seems nearly inconsequential. And I was thinking about this uh, commitment that we make on this journey, that somehow uh, we have um, kind of shaken off this idea of collecting more things and, and um, uh, ex- experiences, and really stepping into this idea of pilgrimage, that uh, this venture here uh, is uh, maybe a long journey, and this is one step in place along the way uh, of this pilgrimage, which is this journey coming home. And in this coming home is this willingness um, to give our full attention, not to the destination, not to the destination, but the journey itself, in the place where you are, here. I remember leaving kind of uh, on my journey from going from kind of uh, Switzerland to Paris and then London and London to San Francisco and then on to India on this at some point recognizing what a pilgrimage was and what a wayfarer was. Uh, someone who um, was searching for some answers in some uh, experience that would actually change the nature of the seeing and experiencing itself. 
I must say, uh, coming to California in the mid-60s and the psychedelics was quite a, a change of view. And actually then traveling, letting go and, and going overland, uh, sort of hitchhiking across Europe and then uh, uh, taking public transportation to India. It was all in this process of breaking down uh, who I'd been or who I thought I was. Um, and letting go of all the old conditioning in some way. And I remember for some years sort of traveling around, sort of taking on different guises of, of, uh, of I felt sort of like uniforms, you know, different uh, 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 monks' robes, going from long matted hair when I first got there and wearing Tibetan robes to, uh, you know, being a Hindu monk and going around with a little G-string on and, and orange... Uh... <laughs> Sorry, orange <laughs> Geru, it's actually called. Uh, um, and then uh, a Tibetan novice monk and, and um, uh, all these changes of clothes looking for some kind of uh, view uh, that corresponded to my world and uh, my experience. And at some point um, I saw this um, uh, wheel of life, uh, and it's a, a definite uh, kind of a construct for how to view the world. And so I'd like to describe to you this evening, uh, it's fairly a kind of a detailed description of um, uh, kind of the Buddhist teachings all in a, in, a, in, a, in a single kind of mandala or view. So what I'd like to describe is sort of, uh, is this mandala uh, from the center out. And where I have to start here is... Um, that any view, any view at all, uh, by its very nature of being a view, um, is empty. Um, and that any place in this mandala that I'm going to be pointing to tonight, that the Buddha, there, in each realm, in each place, there is always a finger pointing out, out of this uh, realm of existence. Um, Whenever we construct something that um, uh, 
that somehow holds us out of the present and uh, creates concept. Uh, There's a danger. There's a danger in that we will cling to it as something um, more real than the moment. And this goes back to kind of Robert's talk about concepts and reality. And so whatever I try to put out there, in some sense, as the the, this view of this Mandela is that it all sh- always should be grounded in your experience of how you see and experience things. Otherwise, it's simply uh, another view, someone else's um, kind of uh, look at the universe. So I'd like to start out here by uh, saying that um, at one point the Buddha was out walking uh, in, the, uh, in the forest and uh, someone asked him about um, uh, this kind of view. And so he drew this wheel of life in the sand as these four concentric circles, and he described it. And this monk asked if he could record this. And it was actually recorded. And then, um, in a lot of the monasteries at the time, uh, there was a kind of picture, a rendition of this Mandela. Uh, during the 11th and 12th century, uh, the, uh, during the Muslim invasion, uh, the Theravadan tradition uh, that was in India at the time was pretty much wiped out. And so this Mandela was pretty much lost in the Theravadan tradition. But it was held and kept in the Tibetan tradition. And so that's kind of the description I'm going to go from this evening. So we'll start with the center of this Mandela. And this Mandela is really uh, is four concentric circles, which uh, is actually described as a world of samsara. Uh, the world of um, becomings that we live in. And um, it is actually, uh, it's, I'm going to try to do this usually, uh, it's a pictorial view. And I can, it's interesting because I, in linear things I can't remember so much, but I can see this in, 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 um, in pictorial. So I hope this can help uh, maybe clarify for yourself, if you have that kind of uh, mind, uh, of uh, the sort of descriptions of uh, what are called the the six realms and um, the laws of dependent origination. So first there's the center, which has three creatures in it. There's a snake, and there's a pig, uh, and there's a cock. And they all are grabbing each other's tail and spinning around this world as we know it of samsara. And first there's sort of the cock, which uh, represents greed. And in the Tibetan tradition, they always talk about the cock going into the uh, chicken house and chasing all the hens around. (laughs) What to do with that, but that's the description. And then there's the... um, the snake, 
which they say uh, has its own poison inside, uh, which is uh, very much like that of uh, anger or aversion. Uh, so there's the greed and aversion. And then there's the pig. And the pig, they say, digs into the mud and covers up its eyes so it can't see. And uh, so it represents uh, uh, ignorance. So greed, hatred, and uh, uh, ignorance and delusion are kind of the three pieces that keep the world spinning as we know it. Uh, as long as this is spinning, we are in this world of causation, uh, the world of karma. The second wheel that circles this is actually one half of it is, is uh, black and the other half is white. And it represents the dualism uh, that um, exists in, uh, in this world of samsara. And traditionally, they have a kind of a Tibetan with all these chains and, and a, a big ball on uh, as uh, in the darkness. And uh, as the circle goes around, then it goes from the kind of the dark uh, to the light. And there you see sort of someone in, in uh, kind of nice Tibetan chuba and, and then uh, with a family and then eventually a monk and then a Buddha. And so that is the journey uh, through the world of dualism, from bondage to freedom, uh, is represented by this uh, world of uh, sort of the yin-yang uh, of our experience. And from that, I'd like to move into this um, third circle, which uh, is represented as the six realms. And there are several ways to kind of experience these realms. One of them is, uh, you can see them if you, uh, you know, in sort of kind of the Buddhist tradition, believe in past lives, so it can be about uh, present lives. Uh, it can also be about uh, our moment-to-moment -moment awareness, how it arises, how we experience it, and uh, where, where is it that uh, you get caught? And these are sort of, um, they're kind of, what, uh, places uh, that we, we find safety in, that uh, we believe to um, somehow uh, create zones of, of um, clinging and holding to these realms, even when they're not comfortable. So I'd like to go through a description of these from a kind of a, what, a psychological uh, perspective, because they have kind of a, um, a sequence that you can look at. And so these six realms, uh, I'll start with the animal realm, which is one of these places where our consciousness uh, is, uh, things are very predictable. Uh, our needs, our wants, um, 
we kind of uh, go by the seasons and, and uh, the environment, and there's kind of a plodding along, which is directly um, necessitates whatever arises uh, in our contact. That uh, it's we don't look at it; we just simply um, take it or push it away. And so there's never the ability to speculate about the meaning of what it is that's happening. We're simply uh, kind of this product of uh, the environment, uh, the circumstances, uh, and there's really no inquiry into how this happened, uh, just that it's happening. And, and uh, so I um, react simply out of that. Um, it's known as a, as a, as a place of, of, of uh, that its kind of mind state is that of ignorance or uh, kind of mental obscurations where you um, are not really seeing or looking at things. Uh, you're simply just um, kind of wallowing in them in some sense. Um, so the animal state. So that this state then um, kind of falls into this next uh, state, which is uh, actually is known as uh, the hungry ghost realm, which seems like a bit of a, a big term for this, because really what this is is that out of our out of things being very predictable, and uh, in the animal realm where we simply just uh, you know, when something's there to eat, we eat it, and if it's not there, we don't eat it. But what happens in the hungry ghost realm is we get a sense that we can have more. And so this factor of greed comes up. Uh, and it's not enough just to have the seasons, it's enough to control the seasons. And so there is this, uh, the predictable life is too limited for us. And so there is a sense of uh, like it's not enough and we're starved. And it's typically kind of a, a place of uh, the addictive personality that uh, keeps longing, uh, that it's just never enough. It's never enough. Um, it's kind of this thing of, um, I was thinking of oh, a terrible mind here, <laughs> thinking of eating and vomiting and then wanting to eat again. You know, and it has to do with kind of our uh, a lot of our uh, kind of cultural diction around uh, not having enough and creating this this uh, deep state of of, um, of um, it is uh, uh, not in the sense of Buddhist emptiness, but emptiness of. Um, of any sense of satisfactoriness. Um, so there's this always kind of, um, and it is a state of greed. And the sense of poverty, deep poverty, that uh, it's not satisfiable. So now I'm going to go, okay, from the animal realm to this kind of. Uh, greed or desire realm of the hungry ghost, uh, right into uh, what is known as the God realm. 
And we experience all these realms as we sit here. It's part of a moment-to-moment experience. And it's interesting because once we have uh, recognized that uh, there is greed and that we can actually control our environment, different than the animal, uh, and we begin to see from our addictions that we create pain. And from that state of pain, um, there is a realm uh, known as the God realm. When one realizes that through personal discipline, um, um, through um, a continuity of uh, concentration and one begins to experience uh, a state of lightness, lightness of body, lightness of mind, which we know uh, maybe we could use the term bliss as this God realm. And one of the pieces, because this is what controlling pleasant sensation and finding, getting the niche of how to hold it for a period of time, then in holding that kind of state of bliss, um, there is tremendous uh, attachment to that state. It is not uh, an open state. It is a closed state in the sense of holding to a certain um, uh, field and uh, and experience. And so one holds these kind of bliss states for a period of time. But what happens is there's only a certain amount of time you can hold this. And when one begins to relax, And as one begins to relax, um, and the uh, the energy that one uh, works so hard to create the state begins to wane, then at that time, we begin to notice paranoia, uh, that we can't somehow, as it begins to wane, Uh, our attachment of the state is so strong uh, that we start experiencing some paranoia or fear of losing uh, that bliss, that high of the God realm. And when that begins to happen, uh, we drop into this uh, fourth realm, which is known as the jealous God realm. And what happens is that as we begin to lose it, there's kind of an aggressiveness to get back what we had, this this kind of great uh, need for that um, control and uh, bliss that we had before. And as we begin to uh, recognize this, there's really a sense of uh, kind of, they call it jealous gods, they also... um, it's called the Asura realm, uh, which is uh, kind of a, it's kind of a war realm, 
because uh, the concentration is somewhat waned, but it's still there. And uh, so there's moments of pleasantness. But there is great, great um, uh, kind of uh, an aggressive holding uh, to when those states arise. And that simply creates more anxiousness. And as that anxiousness uh, begins to we begins to sink and we start getting angry, well, as we start to begin angry, then we immediately uh, begin to close off. And, um, and uh, the experience becomes threatening on some level. And as it becomes threatening, then there is a contraction in the body and an actual solidifying that happens. And as that begins to happen, then uh, we go into uh, f- to these fixed um, realms, which are called hell realms. And we then hold to our um, our feelings of aggressiveness and anger, uh, which keep repeating themselves over and over, and keep us uh, twirling and locked in this state. So those are principally the five realms, and these I know that as you sit here, maybe in one day you may experience many of these uh, at different times. And um, what's interesting is this: the sixth realm actually is the human realm. And the thing that sort of distinguishes the human realm is really narcissism. You know, uh, it has um, like the hell realm uh, has anger, and and the sort of uh, Narsua realm, the jealous god realm, is is kind of jealousy, and the heaven realm uh, has um, this propensity for attachment. Um, the human realm has pride uh, as it's kind of uh, uh, the peace that it it holds itself in. Trumpo said about the human realm, he said, the epitome of the human realm is to be stuck in the huge traffic jam of discursive thought. You know, know this place? You know. So again, this is a view of, of our experience. Of, um, uh, and you can use these in ways of, uh, I, I find them very helpful in uh, being somehow, some way t- between uh, when I get caught and I see these, uh, where I am, whether I can be in the heaven realm and see that out of that place where uh, I, I feel quite light in body and I'm pretty concentrated, and I'm not just being with it. There is actually a feeling of wanting to keep it, uh, the attachment to it. And that little piece, that is, uh, that awareness uh, gives you a clue of where you are. And the same way that um, when, when you find yourself caught in some story, and, and uh, I mean, we're just sitting here blowing big bubbles up 
of, uh, our, of things from the past or things we would like in the future. And when we're kind of um, not just in the present, uh, that we can recognize where we are in these and help you, hopefully, to uh, break the um, the constant longing for it to be different than it is, because that's the way we release ourselves from these realms. So I'd like to go to this um, fourth, uh, fourth part of the circle. And to me, a lot of ways, it's the most fascinating. And I remember uh, years, I don't know how many years ago, probably in the very early 70s, 70, 70, probably 71, I was coming out of a a 30-day retreat and I wanted to go into a a self-retreat. And my teacher at the time said, uh, well, um, it might be good if you have something to, um, uh, to kind of reflect on while you're um, doing this kind of self, this 10-day retreat. And uh, so he said, well, uh, what it really boils down to is really getting to understand this thing about dependent origination. Uh, which is uh, a list of, uh, kind of 12 list of how things um, what, how this world kind of happens in some way. And um, at the time when the Buddha became enlightened, they say he actually went back through these um, kind of the laws of dependent origination to see their origin, to see uh, how this uh, occurs and how we get stuck. So I'd like to, and I spent these 10 days kind of going through the list, trying to figure it out for myself. And actually, um, I didn't get anywhere. (laughs) I mean, I ended up leaving, and and it was interesting because uh, they had this little door, and twice a day they'd come and shove this food through it. And I had uh, my little list of of things there, and I would sit, and then I would kind of read over it, and I would try to reflect on it. I just didn't get it, you know. So I hope that this description will help you uh, see a little bit into it, because uh, I sure didn't get it. And since then, uh, I found it to be one of, uh, one of really the great tools of seeing um, into kind of the nature of uh, conditioning itself. So I'd like to do this as, this as kind of a dis, uh, description here, a uh, pictorial description. And um, so we have this wheel on the outside. It has uh, 12 uh, parts to it. And uh, I'll read to you kind of the, uh, what, this is what I got caught in in the original form of it, was ignorance depends on karma formations. Karma formations depends on consciousness. Consciousness depends on mental and physical existence. Mental and physical uh, 
existence depends on the six sense organs. The six sense organs depends on the sensual impressions. The sensual impressions depends on feelings. Feelings depends on craving. Craving depends on clinging. Clinging depends on process of becoming. Process of becoming depends on rebirth. Rebirth depends on decay, death, pain, grief, sorrow, and the whole mass. Okay, so that's the... Now, do you see why? So I'll, I'll go through this in a little different form. So we'll start out, and the first two uh, are things we can't do anything about. They just uh, arise out of uh, the nature of conditioning. Uh, the first one is a blind old woman, and she has a staff, and she's walking uh, through um, the forest. And the picture of it is that the land is black, the trees have no leaves, and the river is black. And this is um, the first one, which it has to do with ignorance. And ignorance has to do with just uh, the laws of Dharma, the laws of nature, and the fact that when... Um, Ignorance arises. We uh, pollute our streams. Uh, we uh, destroy uh, the nature around us uh, through our uh, ignorance and our uh, misunderstanding of Dharma and um, of uh, the laws. So that's the first one. The second one is uh, a little pictorial of a potter who's sitting there making pots. And one side of the pots are all these beautifully formed pots that are all stacked up. On the other side are all these broken pots and cracked pots. And this, uh, again, has to do with uh, this word um, karma. And we all um, come into a situation where uh, we have both. We have uh, the pots that are in good shape, which is good karma, and we have the pots that are broken, which are uh, our bad karma. So these are, there is ignorance, and there is uh, the uh, arising of um, past causations, known as karma. So the third one is uh, actually where kind of it starts, in the sense the other two are uh, kind of fixed and always there. And that has to do with rebirth consciousness. And rebirth consciousness, you can see, is um, you know, life to life, uh, um, day to day, uh, moment to moment. And what it is is a monkey that's jumping from tree to tree. And what it is is that consciousness, uh, in its uh, rebirth consciousness, when it arises, it is constantly um, jumping from sense experience to sense experience. Um, and you can see it as lives, or you can see it as days, or you can see it as moments. 
Uh, it's just that that arises. The moment that rebirth consciousness arises, then uh, mind-body exists. And uh, with mind-body, it's actually, the, the pictorial of it is you can see a boat. And the boat has a, a little, two little guys in it. And one uh, has a, um, the, what is the rudder, and the other is, is rowing. And the, the rudder is considered the mind, and the rower the body. So uh, the, at that point, uh, the, um, the mind-body uh, arise. Once the mind-body arises, then uh, we have what are known as uh, the five senses uh, and the mind. And traditionally, what the, in the Tibetan kind of pictorial of it, you have a house. And the house has five windows, uh, which represent our five senses, and uh, a door, which represents the mind. So these uh, six senses then arise. Uh, once body-mind arises. Once we have this consciousness, rebirth consciousness, uh, we have uh, a mind-body, we have um, what are the six senses. Then um, there is sense contact. And... Um, the Tibetans in this, they have a pictorial, which is uh, a little bit, uh, it's very Tibetan. They have someone who's uh, uh, sitting, and they have an arrow in their eye. And it represents the intensity uh, of sense contact. Um, actually, excuse me, it's um, sense contact is a man and a woman embracing and then feeling arises when uh, the um, when they have this person with an arrow in their eye. So uh, just to kind of keeping this all in order here. And then once uh, again, once there is rebirth consciousness, there's mind body. Uh, there are the six senses. Uh, there is. Um, sense contact, then feeling arises. Once uh, the feelings arise, then they show actually a person at a banquet who um, is stuffing, just stuffing food in their mouth. And this is actually a very important uh, point, and I'll come back to this on the uh, on this uh, the wheel. And at that point, uh, craving arises. And um, traditionally, uh, this is the kind of um, what um, the first place along this stream that there is choice. So 
once sense contact is made, uh, the interesting thing about sense contact is there's actually uh, three things that can happen. There is the arising of pleasant experience. There is the arising of unpleasant experience. Or there is the arising of neutral. Those are the only three possibilities that arise in the contact itself. If one recognizes this, uh, there is uh, a choice, uh, which is part of what the whole practice of mindfulness is about. Can you, at that moment, recognize it? Um, If you do, it's actually the way off the wheel. If you don't. If you don't, what happens? is you go to the ninth one. And what it shows is uh, a person with a tree, and this tree has fruit on it, and a person is sitting next to um, the tree and has these baskets of fruit. And actually what they're doing is the baskets are already full, and they still are putting more and more and more into them. And it represents the state of once the craving has arisen uh, and one no longer um, uh, is in a state of uh, awareness and falls into this clinging, then we either push away the experience or we grab onto it. And it is a state that we know is clinging. And once clinging arises, then uh, the tenth one is a state of becoming. And they usually say that once clinging's there, uh, and the clinging is um, from this kind of overflowing uh, basket of fruit, um, is the next uh, kind of pictorial, is a woman who's pregnant, a big belly. And uh, it is that state of uh, becoming. And so now there's actually, once we pass this point of craving, there's, this is just a sequential state that keeps this uh, wheel turning around and around and around. And at that point, then once the becoming happens, uh, then the next sequence is that of a woman having a baby. And it, that is birth. And the moment there is birth, then uh, which the eleventh, which is the eleventh, uh, there comes uh, the twelfth one. And the twelfth one is shown as a old uh, old man uh, walking through the forest with this big b- bag of bones on his shoulder, because uh, it represents that once birth is there, then the natural sequence of Uh, old age, sickness, and death uh, is inevitable once the arising has happened. So this is kind of the the circle. We start out with this uh, recognition that whenever uh, ignorance arises, uh, then at that time, uh, then out of that, there is uh, this history. 
and that history then um, has a becoming. And that history is either uh, a moment of positiveness or negative, good karma or bad karma. And then there is this arising of consciousness. And the consciousness then uh, has a place which is a body-mind that out of that body-mind arises uh, these six senses that we know, the experiences that we uh, recognize. And then out of that, there is uh, the um, uh, contact with the world, the sense contact. And out of that sense contact, pleasant and unpleasant experiences and neutral arise. And that at that time, what we're doing here is allowing ourselves to uh, um, notice uh, how we're being drawn. And if in that moment we fall into uh, our stories, then we keep on going around the circle. And out of that, uh, the craving happens. And out of the craving, then the clinging. And out of the clinging, the becoming. And out of the becoming, the birth. And out of the birth, then the natural state of uh, decay and death. And then another moment of ignorance. Uh, What this is all pointing to is in this eighth place where craving arises. A moment of mindfulness. It's so amazing. A moment of mindfulness breaks the conditioning. Uh, It does not, it is not, you are not on the wheel. And you are not creating this circle. And so uh, every moment of mindfulness uh, breaks uh, a moment of this cycle. So I hope that you can use some of this uh, just in view. And again, uh, recognize that uh, this is a specific, uh, specific kind of view of um, the arising of uh, greed, hatred, and delusion. And that uh, the kind of the uh, recognizing that uh, we live in a dualistic world. And that these six realms uh, are ways of recognizing uh, moments, uh, a series of moments, when you get caught. Um, And that hopefully, uh, by just knowing them, uh, that you at that moment can um, recognize that this eighth place, this place of craving, that you have this possibility of freedom uh, in each moment. Uh, And each moment deconditions this whole wheel. And that the Buddha is always, he's pointing out beyond that. No. Um, And I guess the last piece to say is that uh, in its nature, this wheel is empty. Uh, It, um, in any moment of wakefulness, does not exist. 
uh, in any moment of clinging. Uh, 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 it is ours to experience over and over and over again. So I'll end here with a little piece from Patro Rinpoche. Don't prolong the past. Don't invite the future. Don't alter your innate wakefulness. Don't fear appearances. Apart from that, there's not a damn thing. So let's just sit for a moment. So we have about 45 minutes for walking in. Um, hopefully you can use this. If not, throw it away. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.